Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the first ever podcast for the Dreamer Diary. If you're listening to this, it's because you either personally know me or you were referred to by a friend or someone that you know, or you may be somebody who just came across it and are interested in understanding what the undocumented slash documented experience is like here in the United States, Um, especially for somebody like me who went through the entire process of being undocumented all the way through becoming a United States citizen. So if you're interested in this type of content, uh, please stick around. Yeah, some of the podcast topics that I have planned are definitely going to be interesting. They're thought-provoking. I'm definitely the type of person who likes to look at all the different angles and perspectives that there can be, even if sometimes I don't agree you know, with, with a particular subject or perspective that some people might have. But nonetheless, uh, I am the type of person I'd love to, to hear everyone out. So a little bit about myself, just so you guys can understand who you who it is that is speaking to you. So for right now, I'll just kind of identify myself as Chris. If you know me personally, hey, great. It's a pleasure to know you and thank you for being in my life. But if you don't know me, um, you know, t- as time progresses, you will definitely get to know who I am, more about my story. And, uh, you know, as time progresses, I'll, I'll probably end up telling you guys later later on um, exactly who I am. And, uh, and, and, you know, we'll go from there as this podcast develops and this channel <clears throat> grows. So currently I am 32 years of age. I am no longer undocumented. I became documented about uh, six months ago in June of 2021. So I'm barely getting to enjoy the benefits of what it is to become a United States citizen. I <clears throat> I, I guess you could say I received some type of legal residency when I was about 27 years old. I, I became a permanent resident. So prior to 27 years of age, I was undocumented. Um, And then when DACA came around, I I took advantage of that. And so for about two, three years, no, I want to say maybe it was three to four, actually. So for about three or four years, I I enjoyed the benefits of of being a documented person. And the reason for that, honestly, was to help me prepare for a future, a future that was unknown, a future that could have either taken me back to Mexico or a future that could have kept me here in the United States. As of right now, um, I am obviously here still in the United States, so definitely my journey kept me here, but it wasn't easy. And so, again, as this podcast channel develops, I'll be talking about specific segments within my journey to hopefully help provide um, a new perspective, a new understanding of what the dreamer experience is like here in the United States. So just so you know a little bit more about myself and who I am, you know, I am an activist. I am an entrepreneur. I'm looking for ways to start businesses. I have many ideas that I am looking at pursuing and one in particular that I've already started. So still kind of working through the little kinks um, with that particular project. But, you know, it's it's something I'm, I'm working towards and something that I'm very passionate about. So uh, as time progresses, again, I'll, I'll kind of tell a little bit more. I'm also a public speaker. I love the opportunity to get up in front of people, tell my story. Um, share examples of what is important to people who are undocumented, people who are documented, and people who just don't know that they're that they're neither. Um, 
So a lot of my stories and a lot of the things I will share fall along those lines. I'm also an athlete. You know, I, I played high school football. I ran track. I play soccer, um, you know, basketball, uh, basically anything that gets me up and going, that's, I'm, I'm there. Uh, I have recently started to get into Ultimate Frisbee. Now, I never thought I would get into Ultimate Frisbee because I always thought it was kind of like a sport for fancy people or fancy kids, kind of like golf. Um, not to say anything negative about people who play golf, but, you know, if you're you're like me and you grow up with no papers and no expendable money um, or funds or finances, however you want to look at it, it's difficult to want to engage in something like um, golf, you know, because it's an expensive sport. It's not cheap. So that's something that I've I've recently started to get into. Uh, Part of the reason why I ended up becoming a citizen was because of my educational pursuits. So I've been able to attain an associate's degree in general studies in American Sign Language. Um, I also have a Bachelor of Arts in International Studies with an emphasis in foreign relations and security. And recently, as of 2021, I've also attained two master's degrees from a prestigious Catholic university here on the East Coast. Um, One of them is a Master's of Arts in Diplomacy and International Relations. Specifically, my concentration within that discipline is uh, Latin America and the Caribbean, uh, looking at uh, political and economical developments that, you know, are important to that region, as well as a second master's in, uh, it's a master's of business administration in business management. So I'm definitely a person who loves to learn. I love to open up a book and expand my, my knowledge because I feel like you can never learn too much. Like the world is so vast for you to say, oh, I know everything. And that's definitely, definitely not me. So as again, this podcast develops, I'll be talking about more of how I got to get to the associate's degree and then a bachelor's degree and then eventually a master's degree when, you know, when I was undocumented. And so what my process there was, as well as kind of the logic, you know, because nowadays you hear all sorts of different things where people are telling you, you shouldn't go get a degree, they're worthless. Or you hear people talking about, well, the value of a college degree doesn't exist anymore. Um, I understand that perspective, but I disagree. Because when you're a person that's undocumented, uh, a college education is kind of like an insurance policy. And the reason why I personally believe that is because when you have a, a, a college degree from an American university, and let's say you were to get deported back to wherever you're from, the value of that college degree can't be taken away from you, right? That is something that sticks with you for life. And so to me, should I have ever gotten deported to Mexico, um, my college degrees would be my source of income. I'd be able to utilize my knowledge, my language abilities, and you know my talents and my skills to be able to get something if I were to ever be deported. So I'll talk a little bit more about that um, in a future episode. But for right now, suffice it to say that to me, I think education is very important. So let's transition into why people should listen to this podcast. So I briefly mentioned that this podcast is designed for those who are of undocumented background or who those or, or the, for those who are documented but want to learn a little bit more about that experience. 
So I want to provide a safe space to discuss issues related to the undocumented experience. I personally believe that storytelling and sharing my personal experiences and what were some of my barriers to growth and, and how that has led to my success could help somebody listening to this podcast you know, overcome some of their own personal struggles or some, some of their own personal challenges that they're trying to overcome but just don't know where to get help. So hopefully I can provide experiences and my hope is that I can bring other dreamers and other people like me who have overcome that, that, that struggle of being undocumented and so that way they can become um, a source of, of value for those dreamers who are still trying to navigate things um, I would like to also discuss political issues as they, they relate to dreamers, as this is some, something that is highly discussed, especially right now, where there's talks of legislation trying to be you know passed to benefit the dreamer community. And so there's obviously pros and cons to that, depending on your political persuasion. But, you know, those are some of the things that are relevant to discuss. And, and sometimes we as dreamers don't get a safe space to talk about these types of things. So again, I want to provide an avenue, a space for people to to share what they think about these types of things. Um, I also want to encourage the undocumented community to pursue the impossible, right? And so one of the things that I mentioned was, you know, I'm very entrepreneurially minded. And I think a lot of the undocumented community are as well. You know, I, I believe that a lot of them have figured out how to make things work. I mean, because when you think about it, if you don't have papers and you don't have a established way to provide for your family that gives you benefits, you're going to have to learn how to hustle. You're going to have to learn how to work hard. You're going to have to learn who to talk to, who not to talk to, what type of business works where. I mean, personally, I think that, you know, uh, dreamers and, and, you know, the undocumented community are some of the best entrepreneurs because they've learned to make things work when they have nothing. And so to me, I think that this is a... a uh, uh, a market, an untapped opportunity to be able to not only create opportunities for those individuals who are of that status, but to also provide an opportunity for the exterior community, which is usually not undocumented, um, access to some of the things that, that these people have created to make their own life simpler that could benefit everybody else. So I, I definitely want to encourage the undocumented community to pursue the, imp uh, the impossible. So if I can get in touch with people who are business owners, uh, visionaries, entrepreneurs who are still undocumented and, and would like to tell their story, you know, I, de I welcome them to join this podcast and we can discuss some of those things. <clears throat> so to transition into kind of the beef, right, the meat of, of this podcast for today, um, I want to kind of tell you guys why I chose the Dreamer Diary. Uh, mainly it was because... When I transitioned to becoming a citizen, I realized that there was no manual, no handbook, no guidebook, podcast, or any other way for me to tap into information to help me understand what I needed to know as I transitioned from becoming a DACA recipient to a permanent legal resident. And then when I became a citizen, that transition from permanent resident to citizen there was no one there to really help guide me to what I should look out for, what responsibilities I, I would now have um, upon taking these new responsibilities. I didn't know, and, and, you know, where would I get that information? I mean, you can go to YouTube and stuff and, and try to find something, but to 
to, to find somebody who's talking about these specific um, challenges as you transition from one stage to the next is very difficult to find. And so my hope is to provide, you know, from my personal experience, what were some of the things that I noticed that would benefit somebody else? So I want to be able to provide that information so that for those of you who are listening to this podcast and are looking to transition into one of the other categories that I, I discussed, and obviously there's very, <clears throat> there's a lot more, there's others out there that aren't specific to, you know, permanent residency and citizenship, um, such as, uh, you know, people who are protected, refugees and asylum seekers, all that stuff is, is you know, um, its own separate category to discuss. But if you're a person who wants to understand how to transition to one of these stages, um, you know, hopefully my, my experience can provide some context, some insight to help you. So I thought that what better way than to create a digital diary of my life and my story to help others who are looking to pursue their own dreams, their own story, and to develop it. And so I want to help those of you avoid as many mistakes as possible, especially the ones that I made. Because if I can help you either save time or money or headaches, uh, I'd definitely love to, to do that with, you know, sharing my story. So I realized that, hey, this is kind of an interesting um, podcast. So what better way to, to name it than to call it the Dreamer Diary? So I think that this will serve as like a medium or a vehicle of communication to share with both the dreamer and non-dreamer communities. So it's the goal of this podcast to really inspire anybody listening to pursue your own dream and to share your story because the reality is if we don't share our stories, how can we ever expect change? And how can we expect true progress on the issues that are affecting our friends, our families, ourselves, our dreams, and our communities? I mean, at the end of the day, when you really kind of get down to, to, the, to the gist of everything, it comes down to this hope because when you're undocumented, the only thing you really have is hope, hope that one day a law will pass, hope that my family's going to be okay, hope that my dad is not going to get deported or my mom. So you learn to have this hope and this hope leads to faith and faith is what when you're undocumented, the only thing you can really hold on to something that can't be taken away. And so to me, I've kind of developed this, this personal motto, so to speak, which is with faith, all things are possible. And I truly believe that. And I can tell you that as you hear my story and as I start to discuss some of these other topics, you'll start to realize, wow, you know, faith is important to this guy. But hey, maybe I should consider that a little bit more in my life. So now let's jump into my story a little bit more. So as I mentioned previously, I'll identify myself as Chris for right now. Um, originally, I am from a beautiful town in central Mexico called Leon, Guanajuato. It's kind of hard for a lot of people to pronounce, but it's spelled G-U-A-N-A-J-U-A-T-O, Guanajuato. And that's where I, I was born. That's the town that my family um, was when we were in Mexico. And so <clears throat> part of what motivated my parents to want to leave is what inspires most other undocumented people, which is you know, to pursue a better life. So my parents made the decision to come to the United States in, in pursuits of that. And their journey was not easy. Um, you know, as they were making their way northward, they experienced all sorts of challenges and issues that could have cost them their lives. But through the grace of God, everything worked out all right. So for the first part of my life, I would say probably until I was about three-ish, 
maybe four. We lived in, in Los Angeles. We lived in L.A. And we found refuge in the Mexican slash Latino communities of L.A. And if you've ever gone, you know just how prevalent the Hispanic Mexican culture is down there. And so my parents were able to find work. They were able to begin to build their lives in the United States. Um, and they were able to kind of really provide for us in a way that they weren't able to in Mexico. Even though I was a little kid, I do have memories of when we lived there. And so specifically, I remember looking outside of of our our windows. And um, this is during the time of the Rodney King riots. And then later on, um, you know, some of the effects from the 1994 earthquake. And so all of this kind of, in a way, kind of shook my parents a little bit, you know, because they had young kids, um, t- my older sister and myself and my younger sister at the time, who was a baby. You know, it was the three of us, and I think my parents were a little surprised at just how crazy L.A. can be. And so they made the decision to move to Utah. And the reason they did that was because um, my mom's family, who migrated to the United States, joined the LDS Church, the Latter-day Saint Church. And as they continued to learn more about the faith, they felt prompted to, you know, make their move eastward to Utah, to Salt Lake City. And eventually, you know, my parents followed suit, they joined the church, and, and, um, and you know, I'll go into that a little bit later in another podcast. But once we moved to Utah, my parents would encourage my older sister and I to speak English and to really portray ourselves as American or as American as can be. We learned early on that there is safety in speaking without an accent or in, beha- or in behaving like an American, right? So uh, exemplifying some of those traits and characteristics that they have. The costs, however, are that you tend to lose your cultural identity. And if that's not something that your parents are, are trying to in, in inculcate in you, you're going to lose it, you know, because one identity is going to be more stronger. And this is just me personally, but I feel like one identity will take greater precedence over the other if the other one is not also nurtured and cultivated. So <clears throat> before you know it, you kind of lose who you are. And so as I got older, I stopped speaking Spanish. Um, I stopped speaking Spanish publicly because usually it accompanied some type of racism or discrimination or somebody giving me a dirty look. And when you're a low-resourced, vulnerable immigrant, you know, these are the types of things that you don't want to attract. And it was easier to put your head down or to look the other way as, you know, you made your way through throughout the town and throughout your life. And that was pretty much what my experience was like up until, you know, I, I ended up getting a legal status here in the U.S. And so as a result, I avoided anything that made me look like I wasn't from here. Uh, I wouldn't, I dressed a certain way. I spoke a certain way. I wanted to make sure that I had a strong American accent, one where you couldn't tell that I was from another place or born in another place. One thing to note, though, and I think this is a very important point, as will be discussed later on, is... My parents encouraged me to become an American, but as they encouraged me to become an American, um, they would also say, hey, Christian, if anybody ever asks, just tell them you're from here. You're a citizen. And so when you're a little kid, right, you don't really understand what that means, but okay, sure. So um, as I started growing uh, and, and becoming older, uh, I just eventually internalized it to the point where I, I didn't question it. You know, it was kind of like, oh, when friends would be like, hey, where are you from? I'd be like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm from here kind of thing. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, we're from L.A., you know. And people would shrug it off. 
shrug it off. And that was really the reason why I decided to kind of internalize as a little kid is because it was easy. Um, And it didn't follow questions. Because the other thing, too, was when people would ask, oh, where are you from? Usually it was accompanied with like, oh, okay, so uh, your parents are from Mexico. So does that, did they come legally? Or they would say, oh, okay. So how did they come to the U.S.? Or they would ask other types of questions. And so it was a lot easier to just kind of say, you know, I'm from here. And when you speak with no accent, like, it's easy to to believe. And so, <clears throat> so all this really leads to kind of presenting to you the struggles of my story. Because one of the interesting things about growing up in Salt Lake City, Utah, is that there is a strong community of both Hispanic and non-Hispanic people who speak Spanish. And what that means is that, you know, because of the strong Latter-day Saint faith um, that's that's there, a lot of people tend to speak other languages, you know, because they served other language missions for the church. And so growing up, I would always meet people, especially like return missionaries, and I'm sure they were excited, right? I'm sure there was no malice on their end, but when they would come up to me and be like, hey, and they would start, you know, rambling off in Spanish without even asking or approaching me if I even spoke Spanish. They would just automatically assume. And so to me, I interpreted that as like, you see my skin color as being darker. So you automatically assume that I speak Spanish without even considering the fact that, hey, maybe I don't. Maybe I do. Hey, maybe I don't even speak English or Spanish because I'm from another place. Or maybe what if I was deaf? How would you know? The reality is they wouldn't. And so that was kind of my thing is I hated when people would, would especially like return missionaries, um, because they just wanted to show off. And again, it wasn't to, dis- to, to make them seem like bad people or anything like that, but that was just my experience. Um, and so, as I mentioned previously, um, you know, my parent or my mom's side of the family, they joined the LDS church. And so as they kind of navigated that world, um, you know, they ended up marrying, you know, Americans and ended up getting their citizenship and they were able to do that um and on so on my mom's side like uh everybody uh, to my knowledge has some type of legal status except for my parents specifically my mom so for my parents they were limited as to how they could obtain their legal status and if there's anything you'll know about or you're if you know you know but if you don't know you'll come to find that uh, the U.S. immigration system is not as ideal as it should be because it does alienate certain people. Um, And in my parents' particular case, you know, they need somebody to petition for them. They need somebody to say, hey, I vouch for this person. And and in my particular case, that wasn't an option. Uh, That wasn't something that was available. So, Unfortunately for my parents, you know, they're still trying to navigate that realm of trying to fix their status and so forth. And it's hard. It's really hard. It is a challenge that they're trying to to deal with. And, you know, we're trying to help them as much as we can. But even then, it's still a struggle for for them. So, so my my experience in becoming an American, right, it it didn't happen at birth. Uh, It happened 32 years later. And... As a child, like when you're in school, um, you know, you're, you're encouraged to do certain things such as reciting the Pledge of Allegiance or standing up and, you know, showing respect to the flag. Um, 
and all these other things that you know we come to to revere as as Americans. When you're a little kid and you're not from here, like you, you it's like it, it has a special meaning. Meaning that like you have reverence. There's there's a special spirit that's felt when you're reciting that pledge. But when you find out that you're undocumented or that you're not really from here, it changes. And not to say that like I'm now un-American because of it. No, but it's symbolism has kind of changed slightly. Um, I remember specifically in second grade staring at the flag uh, as we were reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, and I felt deep admiration for its beauty and its design. I remember as I stared at this flag, I thought, how do people become American if you're not from here? Like, how do you do that? And so not knowing the political and legal intricacies of what it truly takes to become an American citizen, um, you know, I just kind of thought about that as a young person. Um, not really knowing much of it, of course, um, but it was, I, I remember that feeling of just an intense connection to this country. And I, and later on, as we learned, you know, basic geography, I found myself wondering why I never got to visit my family in Mexico, like during our summer breaks or why my family from Mexico couldn't come to visit us. I mean, in my mind, when I looked at a map, I was like, well, there's just a line. Why can't they cross the line? What's the problem with crossing that line that I see physically on the map? In reality, obviously, there's not a, a line that extends the entirety of the border. Um, in some sections, of course, it does, but that's today. Back then, it was less. So I didn't fully understand why we couldn't have family come to visit. And I knew nothing about passports, visas, or immigration. So in my mind, I just thought, hey, it's just a line. Why can't you just cross it? And as I got older, I often wondered why um, why I just I, I never went to Mexico. And so I remember as we returned from summer breaks, um, um, some of my teachers would ask, what did you do for the summer? And many of my classmates would respond saying, oh, we went to Europe or my family, we went to Asia or we went to Mexico for the summer. And so when it was my turn, the only thing I could share was that we went to Las Vegas <laughs> and we went every year for family vacations. And, you know, if you've gone to Vegas, you know, if you don't, if you've never gone to Vegas, then, um, if you're a kid, you really can't do anything in Vegas, um, especially if you're staying somewhere on the Strip. I Sure, you got Circus Circus, but Circus Circus is, I mean, you can't go there every day. Um, it gets expensive. And again, when you're kind of a lower income household, like with five kids, you're not going to be spending money doing anything in the Adventure Dome at Circus Circus. So I hated going to Vegas, but that was our family vacations. Um and I remember thinking as well, like when we would come back from summers, I would get new clothes, but it wasn't clothes that, you know, we went shopping for, like, you know, many of my peers, it was clothes that, you know, I had acquired through secondhand or my mom and I, we would go every Saturday on yard sales or garage sales. And, you know, my mom would haggle her way to get me, you know, a newer pair of shoes or shorts or pants or whatever. And so when I would go home and ask my parents, like, hey, what's the deal? Like, why can't we go visit our family in Mexico? Um, why can't we go to Europe instead of Las Vegas? Um, because it's always been a dream of mine to go visit Paris, France, and, and it still is. I haven't gone yet. Um, their response was always, well, we don't have money. And it made sense because we were a family of eight, and so money was kind of tight. And so I never questioned 
that there were other reasons to why we couldn't travel outside of the United States. One thing to keep in mind, though, which will make sense again in, in later posts, is that during my youth, my parents would tell me, you know, again, and I said this previously, but in Spanish, you know, si alguien te pregunta de dónde eres, diles que eres de aquí y que eres americano, right? Which, if you don't speak Spanish, it translates to, like, if anyone ever asks you where you're from, tell them you're from here and that you're an American. And so I couldn't, I couldn't really understand why they just always reminded me as a kid. Or when they would say to me, oh, te tienes que casar con una, una gringa. Oh, you have to marry, marry, marry an American girl. Um, I didn't know what that meant. And so as a kid, I had no reason to doubt any of my upbringing other than just we didn't have a lot of money. And so I grew up in the poor part of, of town in Salt Lake um, in an area called Rose Park is where I, I was raised. And so it made sense as well because like in those neighborhood, in that particular neighborhood, there's a lot of crime, a lot of racism, drugs, gangs. Um, you really have to kind of look out for yourself or you have to be connected. You have to know the right people. And so we often lived in apartments um, with, in, in shared spaces with other families and other people just so we could afford the rent. We protected ourselves by learning to speak without any kind of accent um, and to dress like everybody else. However, this isn't easy to do when you're poor because one thing to keep in mind is when you're a lower income, undocumented person, it's all about resource preservation. And so what I mean by that is like, for example, in my family there were eight members all vying for the same resources, which is bathroom time, money, food, water, television, time with mom or dad, um, time with our friends who got access to the TV at what time. Uh, so all these things, you know, you're competing against your siblings for. And so usually the older siblings, um, you know, won out more so than the younger ones. So you kind of have to learn to get creative to get what you want. And it was in learning, learning to be creative that I explored what I wanted and what I did not want for my future. So up to this point in my life and throughout pretty much high school, uh, I had no reason to believe that I was not an American. I felt as normal as anybody else. I, again, I spoke with no accent. I wore the clothes that my peers wore from Aeropostel, Hollister, and the Gap Store. Again, it was all secondhand, but I mean, it had the name, it had the logos and all that. So... You know, I felt normal in that sense. I played American football. I was able to get a driver's license. So I really thought that I was a normal, normal American teen. Uh, however, life has a funny way of flipping your world upside down. And so when I was in high school, specifically my senior English class, uh, the teacher had asked all of his students to apply for FAFSA, so fi federal aid for uh, financial aid for federal student applications. I think that's what it stands for. I, I could probably look it up to confirm, but you guys get the gist. So in order for us to get our final grades for graduation, and so I didn't think much of it, and so I did that. And no more than probably a week or two later, I received an email, an, an, an error, uh, that there was an error in my application and that it could not be processed. The reason was that I had marked on the application that I was a citizen, when in reality, I was not. I approached my parents about it, and that's when the truth about my status was made known to me. So at 18, I finally understood why we couldn't go on vacations abroad, why we always had to live in cramped quarters or in lower-income neighborhoods, uh, why my parents always had low-paying jobs as housekeeping, uh, cooks, chefs, um, landscaping, 
when my friend's parents were doctors and lawyers living in million-dollar mansions with indoor basketball courts. I learned that I was not only ineligible to go to college because there was simply no money, but that getting a good-paying job was out of the question. So for the next 14 years of my life, my journey of becoming an American citizen would have many ups and downs, triumphs and failures. At 32 years of age, I'm still learning, I'm still growing, and I realize that my journey as an undocumented person is officially over, but I don't have to struggle as I once did. Um, but it's interesting because I still find myself identifying as a dreamer. When I hear the stories of my peers, their triumphs and their failures, it resonates with me. And so I realize that my story can serve as a support system for many others who are still grappling with the discomforts of that label, whatever label you want to attach, undocumented, um, dreamer, documented, whatever you prefer, like that's your prerogative. But it's really interesting because I never thought that I would be starting my own business, but I have. I was once told by a family member that I was worthless. I'll tell that story in greater detail. Uh, it's a juicy one, so uh, keep, keep, keep an eye out for that one. And she basically said to me that I wouldn't amount to anything in life. And turns out, out of all the grandkids, all the nephews, all the nieces, all the cousins, um, I was the only one that went on to obtain four college degrees. I've traveled the world, and I have an amazing job. My goal with this podcast is to provide an avenue for other dreamers to share their stories and to help educate others who maybe aren't familiar with the emotional, spiritual, psychological, and physical traumas that accompany the undocumented experience. I can't tell you the number of lawyers who said to me that nothing could be done to adjust my status, and yet I found a way. And I found a way because, as I said earlier in this podcast, with faith, all things are possible. And so that kind of sums up this introductory blog, or I guess it's even a blog, but uh, this podcast, um, with the hopes that as I start to tell my story a little bit more personally, a little bit more in depth, you may find that certain elements resonate with you, you know, that you might find that certain portions of my story apply to you today. Maybe in the, not in the exact same context, but they, will, but they do, and they will. And so my goal, again, is to provide a safe space for everyone to talk. I, I really found that there's a lot of healing power in being able to share your story and being able to connect with others to help them avoid, you know, the discomforts that accompany the life experience. But collectively, we can make it better. We can do things together by sharing our stories, by connecting with one another on social media. And so if you would like to engage with this podcast um, and share your own story and maybe even connect with me and, and I could have you on this podcast um, channel, uh, feel free to visit me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and TikTok. Um, the handles are on Instagram. It's the Dreamer Diary 21 on Facebook, it's The Dreamer Diary Dialogue. On TikTok, it's at The Dreamer Diary. On Twitter, it's at Dream Diary 21. I wish I could have uh, 
had one synchronous uh, username across all these platforms, but uh, um, other people have taken elements of, of the Dreamer Diary, so it, it made it a little challenging to do that. But again, this this conversation today was to inspire those who are looking to learn a little bit more about the undocumented experience. Um, my story, as I get deeper into it, you'll it, it gets great, it gets interesting, so I just hope that you all can find some time and uh, connect with me online. Thank you, everyone, and uh, well, I'll see you on the next one.